It's that time of the year where you might want to try to kick off a new year with a fitness journey. Cryo and More has all your holistic healing needs with cold therapy, heat therapy, and pressure therapy, which shortcuts the time you have to spend recovering from your workout or minimize the muscle soreness you feel from physical activity. Cryo Skin is a body hack that speeds up the death cycle of the fat cells using non-invasive technology that uses heat and cold to eliminate fat cells. Your greatest wealth is your health. Visit cryoandmore.com or head over to the location off of Virginia Parkway in McKinney. If you're looking for a new gun safe, you need to check out the Performance Firearm Storage Solutions from Securit. Unlike traditional safes, Securit products are designed to perform for you. They're lightweight, so you can discreetly store them in any room in the house, and the interior is completely customizable to fit your guns and gear. I would know. I've got four of them. Their fast-access storage system keeps my guns and optics organized so they never touch each other or get damaged, and I'm never more than an arm's length away from a firearm. The best part? They're always running great sales. Head over to SecureItGunStorage.com backslash cable to see their latest promotion, and you can thank me later. There was a time I knew you, you knew me. There was nothing in between as far as we could see. Don't you know I need my true love, my truest friend? I got that old black magic rolling in, rolling, 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 rolling. Good morning, good morning, good morning. Cable Smith welcoming everybody. Into episode 688 of SCI's Lone Star Outdoor Show, presented by Mossberg Firearms. That's a jam there. Uh, old Black Magic. Little Josh Ritter getting things going for us. Uh, thanks so much for being here. It is a pleasure, a treat, an honor to be here talking hunting, fishing, the great outdoors, and all that implies with you fine folks. And we've got a good one lined up for you today. I'll tell you all about it momentarily. First, though, um, man, back to the whole camper thing. I, I hauled the camper to the deer lease this past week and everything worked. <laughs> the, the AC was blowing cold. I mean, it was 107 degrees. It was so hot. In fact, that my boots literally melted in the back of the pickup. I threw my snake boots in the bed of the truck and drove the, uh, four hours to the lease Put my boots on when I got there to start doing chores, and the uh, the sole of the left boot no longer connected to the leather. Just literally gone. The glue was the glue failed, melted. Uh, so you all told me to get some shoe goo, which I got. Uh, but the good folks over at Chippewa saw that, and they're like, "Hey, we'll get, we'll send you a pair of snake boots." So uh, I'll I'll repair those old Rockies and probably be rocking the uh, the Chippewas for dove season and beyond. I've always wanted a pair of Chippewas, which many of you swear by. So excited about that. But uh, back to the camper. Yeah, the AC was blowing cold and the I, I took a hot shower. I don't even know. I I thought I would probably have to do something with the propane, maybe light a pilot light. No, it just automatically started working. Took a hot shower. Like I said, I'm a complete novice at this camping thing, uh, camper life deal, RVing, whatever you want to call it. Uh, the learning curve is pretty big, and so for the things to just fire off, I was like, well, this, you know, refrigerator, freezer, they were uh, working as well. Uh, we have, like I said, hookups for water and plumbing, so got the black water, uh, bought one of those adapter kits, and y'all might look at it and be like, well, that's not going to last, but uh, I did a tour of everyone else's uh, sewage like setup, and half of them had it duct taped to the ground, uh, I guess, the sewer line. So that's what I ended up doing because the, the kit, it had the pieces, but the the uh, the PVC pipe didn't have grooves in it. So you just I just set it in there, and I guess I could, you know, probably should go to Walmart or Home Depot or Lowe's or wherever and grab an adapter. But for now, that's how it is. That's how it's set up. We'll see. We'll see how that goes. Uh, the other thing is when you semi-permanently set up a camper, how do you guys do it? Do you put the leveling blocks under the, the actual frame of the camper? Some of the dudes have them, uh, the leveling jacks, they have, you know, cinder blocks under those. And that seems like a lot of weight to, you know, put on those leveling jacks. Um, I don't know. I've read that that's not ideal. Some of the dudes, I think, did it properly out there and they have them. Uh, the cinder blocks or whatever it is under the actual frame. 
uh, kind of have the tires off the ground. Uh, but some of these campers have been there so long, the tires have just completely disintegrated. I think that they've found their final resting place. Hopefully that's not how it goes with ours, but we shall see. Any advice is appreciated. Y'all sent in some emails last week, so keep those coming. As uh, yeah, I, maybe there's a you know campers for dummies 101 book I should pick up because uh, I I feel like that's where I'm at. But yeah, I also got the feeders filled up, protein uh, the all seasons protein feeder going, and have some nice bucks on camera. That was the other thing; all my cameras were dead or turned off, so uh, they are up and running, and the inventory process is going well uh three or four very nice bucks on camera already uh excited about that anyway what are we doing today you know what to do by now pull up that stool a little closer to the old campfire pour yourself another cup of that black rifle coffee out of granddaddy's beat up stanley thermos because we are ready to rock and roll and off the top it's a uh, a little quick hit segment we've got horny toads the Biden administration's latest attack on hunting, and the damnedest things people will say about you. I found out something very interesting. It wasn't true, uh, but somebody was running their mouth on a Instagram live feed, so much so that a friend was like texting me, Cable, are you in jail right now? And I'm like, in jail? I'm literally laying in the camper at the deer lease. Uh, so yeah, crazy world. Uh, I don't know why people do the things they do, but um, I'll mention that, and then we will spend a significant amount of time with our old friend Mike Leonard of the American Sport Fishing Association, as NOAA Fisheries has gone off the reservation again when it comes to red snapper management and speed restrictions for recreational and commercial vessels. Yeah, bad news there. Um, so we'll talk about that, and we'll spend some time discussing what to do with all these sharks because their populations have rebounded so well that now they're kind of on the other end of the spectrum and that is negatively affecting certainly recreational fishing uh, to the tune where you know something has to be done about it what it is i don't know but we'll discuss with mike uh coming up here in just a little bit that's what's on the docket for today gonna be a good one um let's do a quick giveaway how about a Texas Trophy Hunter prize pack with the extravaganza season kicking off this weekend in Houston. Uh, celebrate that. I've got a camo TTHA skull and antlers cap, a t-shirt, and we'll throw in tickets to four tickets. So bring the family, bring your friends, whatever. Four tickets to an upcoming extravaganza, of course, this weekend Houston. Then we have Fort Worth and San Antonio. Uh, all you need to do is email the words or just email trophy. That's trophy to Lone Star Outdoor Show at gmail.com. And you are entered into this week's TTHA giveaway. All right, let's knock out that break. Coming up next, uh, it's a smorgasbord of quick hits for you right here on SCI's Lone Star Outdoor Show. Some say a silenced gunshot is the baddest sound out there. At Silencer Central, we have another favorite. It's the sound of silence delivered to your front door. When you buy from Silencer Central, we handle your application, set you up with a free NFA gun trust, and deliver your silencer straight to you. With an average 90-day turnaround time when you use e-forms, buying a silencer is simpler than ever. Visit silencercentral.com and we'll help you get started. Let me tell you about the Armorsight 640 contractor. It is the industry-leading thermal technology in a very user-friendly rifle scope. A 640 Armacore 12 Micro made in the USA Thermal Core. It's got a four-hour onboard recording, four-hour runtime on a full charge, USB and Wi-Fi streaming, uh, eight user-selectable reticles and six color palettes, and the most user-friendly interface out there because you're operating these things in the dark. So uh, that's very important. You can find the contractor, the 640, or its little brother, the 320, right there at armorsite.com. Toss it, dream it is, the difference in believing. 
Cable Smith welcoming everybody back into SCI's Lone Star Outdoor Show presented by Mossberg Firearms. Uh, let's get this quick hit segment rolling. First, though, uh, this segment brought to you by Big and J Whitetail Attractant. I put some out at the lease this past week. Didn't take long. Boom, boom, boom. That same night, here they come. All these beautiful antlered bucks getting my blood pumping. And it's that uh, BB squared attractant that I put out. Uh, they've got it in block form or powder. I did a little of both. But, yeah, it works every time. Not going to lie. You can find BB squared at BigandJ.com or uh, Wally World carries it as well. Uh, so does Tractor Supply, by the way. Okay, uh, well, let's run through these quick hits. And the first one is, when was the last time you saw a horny toad, a horned frog, a, a horned lizard, whatever you want to call it? My dad used to tell me they caught them right there in Fort Worth, Texas when he was a kid. And I've, I've never saw one in, in all the time that I spent at my grandparents' house in Fort Worth. Never saw a horny toad. Uh, they eat red ants, and fire ants certainly, that's what people think anyway, is because habitat for a lizard, they don't, they don't need a lot, but what they need is red ants, and these fire ants compete with red ants. Uh, I think that's why we've seen such a reduction in the prevalence of horny toads, but I found a big-ass one at the deer lease this past week. It was so exciting. I don't, I've never gotten so pumped up about a, a little tiny reptile, uh, but we have red ants out there, and I'm setting up the camper, and there's a red ant bed right there in that red dirt. And I see this thing scurry by at first. I was like, oh, crap, you know, uh, glad I have my snake boots on because I was thinking rattlesnake. And then I, I got down there and looked and was like, oh, that's a big horny toad. So I caught him. He, he flattened out. That's a real interesting thing they do. Um, took some pictures of him. Very docile creatures. He did not squirt blood out of his eyeballs at me. Not sure if that's true or, or not. I mean, you, you hear it about it all the time, but he didn't do that. He was pretty chill. And, uh, yeah, it was a really cool encounter. I, I don't remember the last time I've seen them in Texas. I, I have seen them in very arid parts of New Mexico elk hunting. Uh, quite a few of them, but not none this big. This guy had been feasting on red ants. So that uh, was just a cool thing that reminded me of, uh, of my just the way my dad used to talk about them um, growing up. But certainly the biggest one I've ever seen in 41 years on God's green earth. Uh, also, and, and if you don't understand why I rag on Democrats as a threat to our way of life, and it's certainly any hunter that votes Democrat, uh, here's the latest for you to, uh, so, you know, go ahead and feast on this crow. This is, uh, our friend Gabriella Huffman's article, uh, in town hall titled thanks to bipartisan safer communities act. The DOE, that's the Department of Education, defunds school archery programs. Yes, the Biden administration uh, has defunded school archery and shooting programs. Why? Because, well, they hate hunting. Uh, but this bill applies to all ESA, ESEA-funded schools, and it went into effect immediately on June 25th. It applies to all existing and future awards under... ESEA programs. You know, we've been teaching archery in schools since the 1960s. And this administration is, this is so egregious to attack the future generation of hunters and shooters. And archery clearly isn't a dangerous activity, right? But that's the guys with which they passed this bill. Uh, and it did have bipartisan support. I don't think that that a lot of the people voting for it knew what they were doing, but that's no excuse. John Cornyn, senator from Texas, who is an absolute douchebag and a, a rhino Republican, he voted for it. Mm-hmm, sure did. I I have read in, in Gabby's article that a few of them are having buyer's remorse. Um, they want to restore funding for school archery and hunting programs. This includes hunter education, by the way. Hunter ed, if you teach that. Nope, no funding for you. Yeah. So keep voting for Biden, y'all. You're doing a great job. Uh, because let me tell you, it's not like these kids are the future of hunting and fishing. No, no. Wait. Oh, wait, yeah, they are, actually. Uh, 
Uh, so you're doing great, Biden. Thank you so much. Uh, also, one other thing. <laughs> it's still, it's just the funniest oxymoron. Hunters that vote for Biden. So you don't like the Second Amendment, and now the guy you voted for taking hunter education and archery programs out of public schools. Whew. But hey, at least there's no mean tweets that hurt our feelings. Goodness gracious. Uh, the only other thing to mention here in this little segment is, so I'm, <laughs> I'm sitting at the Deer Lease in the camper uh, last week, and my buddy, Anthony Amantine, a.k.a. Texas Killer, he's a, uh, a hog-killing, coyote-whacking and stacking son of a bitch, a uh, longtime friend. Um, it, before the show existed, Anthony and I were hog-hunting together back in the day, um, but He's got a great following, and he works for a thermal company and does a lot of live feeds, Q&As. And he texts me. He said, are you in jail right now? And I'm like, no, dude, I'm I'm sitting at the deer lease. Why? Why would I be in jail? I'm not 19 or 20 years old anymore. <laughs> He's like, well, because someone on my live feed just said that you accidentally shot a doe thinking it was a coyote and that you turned yourself into authorities. I'm like, how do these th- how do these rumors even get started? Is it someone that has it out for me? Like, I, I don't even know. So, uh, but no, I, I think he was able to uh, correct th- that person, whoever they are. I have no idea who it was. But how do these rumors? I don't know. Maybe you've had something so outlandish said about you where you're like, how does someone even make that up? And and how would you even mistake a doe for a coyote? I don't know if you if they thought it was a thermal thing or what, but the armosite thermals are the, the clarity is so clear you would you, you couldn't make that mistake. Um, yeah. So anyway, I am I did not go to jail. I certainly did not shoot a doe and turn myself in saying I thought it was a coyote. Uh, just to clarify that. <sighs> okay. Well, let's take a quick break. We'll come back and dive headfirst into a myriad of topics with the American Sport Fishing Association's Mike Leonard. We're talking shark depredation, red snapper, and vessel speed reductions. Yeah, that's coming at you next. That segment brought to you by NUMA Outdoors and the Pathfinder Pant. Save 20% off your entire NUMA order when you use that promo code LONESTAR20 at checkout. We'll be right back on SCI's Lone Star Outdoors show. Making honest living Around a town of plain view Teach some boys and girls About a simple world I love family We'll always get you through The granddaddy of all hunting shows is back. The 2023 Hunter's Extravaganza, August 4th through the 6th at the NRG Center. Fun for the whole family. Check out hunting seminars, all the latest hunting equipment, last season's best bucks from our annual deer contest, and for the little hunters, games, live alligators, snakes, and more. For details and tickets, go to huntersextravaganza.com. August 4th through the 6th at the NRG Center. The 2023 Hunter's Extravaganza. In the market for a compact track loader, check out the Bobcat Advantage, where Bobcat track loaders squared off against other brands in a variety of tests and challenges. Whether you're looking for performance advantages, uptime protection, or quality design, Bobcat compact track loaders are the best built machines in the industry. But don't take our word for it. Watch the videos at BobcatAdvantage.com or see Bobcat machines in person at one of our nine North Texas locations. Visit BobcatOfNorthTexas.com or call 469-586-0000 today. Time to tell you about Protect Products. Veteran-owned and made in the USA, Protect makes your water work harder for you in the field. They have a hydration electrolyte formula for endurance and replenishment. It's perfect for elk hunting, right? Uh, Energy formula for when you need an extra kick. Immunity for optimizing the immune system. And one of my favorites, the rest formula to ensure deep sleep and proper recovery. All the formulas are liquid, so they mix instantly in your water bottle or camelback. And the cool thing is they don't gunk them up like a powder with that messy residue. They also have an easy-to-use line of mineral sunscreen for quick and odorless application and all-day protection in the field. For more info, head over to protect.com to see their entire lineup. That's protect, P-R-O-T-E-K-T.com. 
and if I ain't sleeping well, I better be fishing. If I ain't anchored, I will be drifting. But all in all, I'm doing pretty good since I hit my third coast. Cable Smith, welcome everybody back into SCI's Lone Star Outdoor Show presented by Mossberg. Third Coast, the name of that one from Larry Joe Taylor, one of my favorites there. Uh, thanks for dropping by today as we are all set to talk a little fishing with American Sport Fishing Association's Mike Leonard, who makes his return to the show. Uh, some controversial stuff to dive into regarding sharks, shark depredation management, uh, red snapper fisheries, and a possible speed restriction for commercial and recreational Vessels in the Gulf Coast area? What is that all about? Uh, we'll get into it momentarily. This segment is brought to you by the Vortex Sunslayer hoodie. Uh, if you're heading out to do a little recreational angling, well, uh, check out the Sunslayer. It keeps those harmful UV rays off your skin. It's got a hood, or you can get one without the hood, actually. Uh, different color patterns, and it keeps you light and breezy when that hot summer sun is beating down on you. It's the Sun Slayer, and you'll get 20% off when you use that promo code LONESTAR20 at checkout over at VortexOptics.com. All right, uh, without further ado, Mike Leonard of the ASA. It's good to have you back on. Yeah, Cable, thanks for having me back. Glad, glad to be on. You bet. So uh, I see you've got the iCast shirt on. I was getting some email notifications. Uh, that's things still taking place in uh, Orlando? Yep, Orlando for the last, I don't know, six, seven years and for the foreseeable future. Yeah, hot, yeah. steamy July in Orlando. It's yeah. good to be indoors. It's been longer than that uh, because, see, my wife was pregnant with the twins and her and my son, who was two at the time, they went with me to ICAST and and we ended up going to uh, to Disney. I wouldn't go to Disney again. That, this was a long time ago for all the woke stuff but uh yeah so that was it that was nine years ago coming up in november yeah it's been, there, it's been there a minute yeah it has we let's see we were in vegas for a while and then we did like a few years that were back and forth between orlando so that's what i'm trying to remember we were oh, okay. we've been consistently in orlando since yeah, yeah probably 2015 something like that uh-huh. but yeah so- i've been fortunate to not have any of the disney uh <laughs> Trip, trips piled on to any of my stuff. I tell my wife, like, I'm busy enough, and I just have zero interest in doing that. So yeah. The kids Some can of suck my it up. Family members, they, uh, they're going to do a Disney cruise uh, over the Christmas holidays, and they invited my family. And I was like, I told my wife, I said, you can tell them the truth, or you can just say we have other, <laughs> we have other plans. <laughs> Either way, it ain't happening. <laughs> yeah. No, nothing about that sounds good to me. No, no, no. <laughs> Um, so you have been, uh, busy. We actually had to reschedule this cause you had to head to Capitol Hill to DC, uh, for, I believe it, it was July 27th, the house committee on natural resources, subcommittee on water, wildlife, and fisheries held a hearing. There were eight bills. I think they were discussing two of which very important from a, uh, a fisheries, uh, and, and fishing standpoint. Um, and we're going to talk about both of those and then also talk about um, NOAA's, is that, is that the, is the acronym NOAA, N-O-A-A? What, yeah, people NOAA. Say that? Okay. Yep, NOAA. Um, they've got a proposed vessel um, speed reduction, uh, which would have widespread ramifications among uh, the fishing community, both recreational and commercial, uh, which, but this is, that's kind of piggybacking on something we discussed last time you were on the show. Uh, so we'll get it. Let's do that last. Let's start with the Shark Act, though. This is HR four zero five one. Let's start there. What was being discussed? Uh, I think someone was it. Someone else within the ASA was testifying. Uh, yeah. Or there were a couple of folks. Um, you know, were affiliated with testifying. One of which was Jessica McCauley, who's the um, the head of marine fisheries with Florida Fish and Wildlife Commission. And then there was a charter captain named Jack Graham from North Carolina on the Outer Banks, who was given sort of the, the firsthand account of this is what I'm seeing on the water and the impact okay. that this shark depredation issue is having on my business. So 
you know, there's like sharks historically always a hot button issue. Uh, I think maybe some of the love for sharks is like a, it's they're kind of a media darling. Shark Week probably has a lot to do with that. Um, but you know, there is a market for shark fin soup. It's driven by you know Asian culture. I'm not any, nothing that I've read though in in like 15 years of doing that. This is proven to me that shark numbers across the border like in serious decline like there's stuff i've read literature recently even that kind of alludes to the opposite that shark numbers are doing pretty well where where are you at on that yeah you know what is the shark tag yeah yeah so i guess starting with sharks themselves yeah i mean in general across the board sharks have been recovering and are more abundant than certainly in many decades that's Again, true across the board, there are still specific species that, um, you know, are in need of recovery, threatened or endangered. But yeah, by and large, uh, if our goal was to recover shark abundance in our oceans as a whole, we've been pretty successful in doing that. Um, so uh, that's generally a good thing, you know, because they're apex predators. And, you know, if you think of the food chain, you want all parts of the food chain to to be healthy. And there's sort of a domino effect of you lose the top of it, then things start to get out of, out of balance the further you go down. So again, that by and large, that's good. The challenge we have as the recreational fishing community is the sharks don't just go and do their own thing and leave us alone. You know, the issue of shark depredation where you hook a fish and before you can land it, sharks come and got it. You know, that issue to some extent has always existed in the oceans. It's kind of a natural historical part of fishing that you, you come to accept that there's a chance of that happening. Right. The issue is over the last I mean, for me, in terms of what we hear from our members, um, I mean, it's rapidly increased in the last probably five-ish years mm-hmm. to where it's gone from like, yeah, again, something you just accept and yeah, you're going to lose a few fish. You might lose some terminal tackle every now and then to we can't fish without encountering sharks and we can't find places to fish without encountering sharks and we can't get fish to the boat in time no matter what we do. Um to where again, it, it's one of those things like the first time it happens, it's kind of cool. Like, whoa, that was a you know pretty wild experience, especially when it happens right next to the boat. The tenth time it happens, and when you're when you're trying to fill up a cooler, uh, it becomes pretty uh, pretty uncool by that point. And well, even um, you know, I have a personal anecdote on that. And that uh, for my 40th birthday, my wife and I went snook fishing in Florida. It's where they have the biggest snook. And the guy, uh, the guide, my friend Mike Holiday, Captain Mike Holiday, he also does tarpon fishing and he said that nine times out of ten he won't even book a tarpon trip anymore because the tarpon are so tired by the time you land them when you release them or when you're getting them close to the boat they just get snapped you know snapped in half by a shark like and if you're a conservationist which mm-hmm. he's doing you know 90 percent of his stuff is catch and release certainly with tarpon it's always catch and release he's like what's the point of even doing it you know yep yeah and so that gets to the other part of it. Like the sharks may get in a me- be getting a free meal. They may be getting a mouthful of terminal tackle too. But yeah, I mean, a lot of the times the fish you're catching, you might want to release it either because it's a catch and release only fish. It's out of season. Like mm-hmm. it gets to a point that this is bad for not just you as an angler, because it's screwing up your fishing opportunities, but there's a fish sustainability problem too. If we're, and, and that was actually something, um, the charter captain who testified at that house natural resources hearing touched on, he had done some rough math based on, you know, tuna that he sees landed back at the dock relative to how many he and other folks he talks to lose out on the water. I mean, you're talking, I forget the numbers, but it was like an incredible number of, you know, the hundreds of thousands of pounds in a fairly short amount of time of estimated fish that are lost to shark depredation. Um, and that's just you know, in one, one fishery off the outer banks. So yeah, I mean, there, there's it's a multifaceted problem. Uh, you know, in general, it's never that good to have a, a wild animal trained to, to learn how to get its food from humans. Um, so, yeah, it, it, it's tough. So you mentioned or you're asking about the Shark Act. So there's no easy silver bullet solution to this. I hate to use the word silver bullet because some people do use uh, bullet <laughs> as a potential solution here which we certainly don't condone, but at some level, you know, human nature is going to naturally lead to, to people taking this in their own hands, which again is what you want to avoid. So um, what the struggle we've seen is, you know, sharks are managed 
at a variety of levels by NOAA, by the National Marine Fisheries Service, by regional fishery management councils, by state fish and wildlife agencies, by highly migratory species. They've all got a role in shark management. But again, that's generally looking at you know the sharks themselves. How can we get these species to recover? Mm. They are also managing the fish that you're catching that end up getting eaten by the sharks. What do you do when these two species that you're managing are interacting with each other in a way that's not helpful, especially when you've got all these different levels of management? Like what the way we've been saying is like, because this isn't any one entity's problem, it's nobody's problem because you'll see fishermen show up at a council meeting or state commission meeting, complain about it. And there's just sort of a lot of finger pointing like, oh, well, you know, you need to go talk to highly migratory species. Uh, you need to go talk to NOAA. Um, so that's part of it. So what we've um, tried to do with this bill, the SHARKED Act, SHARKED stands for, it's like one of those big, long acronyms, sustainable something or other, uh, where each of those yeah. letters means something, um, is put a task force together to bring all those different levels of management together uh, in one forum with shark experts, researchers, uh, since you get all the smart people together and start figuring out uh, a variety of aspects to, uh, we've been careful not to use the word solve this problem. Cause I said earlier, you know, shark depredations always happen. It always will happen. We're not going to like eliminate this from ever occurring. It's how do we mitigate it? Like how can we turn the volume down a little bit to where um, it's occurring well, less often or like lead to the assumption that we need to kill some sharks. Like how else would you mitigate it? Like yeah. So, uh, yeah, management harvest uh, is definitely something that can and should be on the table. That's pr obviously probably the trickiest of them. There are other th things that at least are warrant warning discussions. So, um, you know, some of it's angler education. As I mentioned earlier, a lot of people encounter sharks. They don't know what to do. They don't even know how to get away from it. To some extent, there's gear you can use to land the fish faster. You know, at some point you got to share knowledge and, hey, this is a real hot spot. Don't fish there. Try and find somewhere else. There's some level of education yeah. that can help to an extent. Uh, technology is an interesting sort of emerging facet of this. Um, there's still a ways to go. But, you know, as an example, one of our members is a company called uh, Shark Bands, B-A-N-Z. Um, they make a product. It was originally designed as a bracelet for divers mm -hmm. um, that sends this electromagnetic pulse out that will repel sharks. Um, they've converted it into essentially a big fishing sinker uh, that you'll use. And, you know, they've got some pretty cool GoPro footage of your hook in a you know, grouper or what have you, you're bringing it in. Shark comes, it gets within 10 feet, gets that, that pulse hitting it and it'll take off running. There's still, I think, some work to huh. be done there to determine you know, what's the right rigging technique and in what conditions does it work best. You know, you talk to some, some so charter is, captains that use it this get mixed reviews, but already in the water when you're fishing, or is like you're hooked up and now we got to put this thing down here and turn it on. Yeah, it well, it, on? it turns on automatically. Yeah, you sort of attach it to your line. Like you use it the way you would a, a, a big fishing weight or a big fishing okay. sinker, essentially. Yeah. So um, there's there's research ongoing about again, like what's the right way to rig this depending on the direction the shark might come and how much of a radius do you get. But it doesn't deter the fish from eating your bait. It shouldn't, you know, I think that's part of what, that's certainly what. So is it, is it is. not activated until the fish is on? Like how does, so I'm just trying to wrap it, it up. Um, telling sharks don't come here, but like grouper, you're fine. Yeah. It's uh, beyond my like understanding of physics from what I understand. Okay. When you put it in the water and move it, it like naturally emits this electromagnetic pulse. And for whatever reason, fish physiology, fish don't mind it. It's something about sharks specifically. Mm -hmm. Um, and, you know, I guess as I think back, I remember learning in school about how sharks have electromagnetic receptors where, like, they can detect a flounder on the bottom that's hidden. You know, I guess it's mm -hmm. a, a sixth sense they have that uh, a lot of other critters don't. So, um, again, we're not pointing to that and saying, like, yep, that's yeah. it. That's going to solve it. It does at least show that, you know, technology has a role here in helping to, to mitigate the problem. But, yeah, I mean, to your point about harvest, um, you know, again, that gets tricky in a variety of ways. Uh, there is more needing to be done to determine, you know, what are the particularly problematic species? Um, what are they? What, and you, yeah, like there's, there's work being done, you know, from what you hear from a lot of folks, it's uh, black tips, bull sharks, uh, hammerheads, and it sort of varies depending on where you are, but it's generally not the threatened and endangered species because there's just not a whole lot of them out right. there. Well, let's do this. Let's uh, let's knock out a quick break here, Mike. We'll come back, continue the shark discussion, and then uh, transition into a little red snapper talk, among other things. That segment of the show 
Brought to you by the All Seasons Feeders Easy Feeder lineup, offering the same great performance in a highly discounted feeder line. It's the Easy Feeder. You can find it at a dealer near you or head over to allseasonsfeeders.com. We'll be right back on the One Star Outdoors show. Chris Letzinger, online sales manager at Cinnamon Creek Ranch here, reminding you we're not your typical archery club. We're a one-of-a-kind archery facility with indoor and outdoor ranges, full pro shop, and six different 3D courses. Cinnamon Creek was designed by hunters for hunters. Located in Roanoke, Texas, we have over 200 3D targets to hone your archery skills. Call 817-439-8998 or visit us at cinnamoncreekranch.com to visit our new online store. That's cinnamoncreekranch.com. Looking for a thermal hog hunt near DFW? Then Three Curl Outfitters has you covered. Offering fully guided thermal hunts just minutes south of Dallas, guide scout daily to put you on the bacon. Using thermal imaging technology to hunt feeders, crop fields, and river bottoms, you get unlimited hogs and no kill fees. Visit www.3curl.com. Also offering corporate hunts and food and lodging available by request. Book at 3curl.com or call 214-455-0940. Hooked on a bottle, a little Brad Hines bringing us back on SCI's Lone Star Outdoor Show presented by Mossberg. I'm Cable Smith. Thanks for being here today. We're still visiting with uh, American Sport Fishing Association's Mike Leonard, and we'll get back into that conversation in just a sec. This segment, though, proudly brought to you by SCI, the worldwide leader in big game conservation. If uh, protecting your rights to hunt, fish, trap, own guns are things that you see a value in, because I damn sure do, uh, then you should join our ranks. And you can do that by heading over to safariclub.org. We'd love to have you. All right, well, let's go ahead and continue discussing uh, our ocean's apex predators with Mike Leonard of the ASA. So I, I've only done a very limited shark, like intentional shark fishing uh, in my life. And, but that was such a uh, interesting kind of like seedy community of, I don't want to say degenerates, because, but I think they're like, there's something wrong with you if you are, and I'd say there's, compared to duck hunters, like they're pretty insane too. We are. I'm a duck hunter. But these people are staying up all night long doing insane and illegal stuff like uh, jumping off the end of the pier into the pitch black ocean below, hopping in a kayak and then paddling a bait out a mile or two. I'm just like, that dude, something's not right in his head. <laughs> uh, but a I admired bird. it, you know, and I was like, this is cool. I like being, this is, these are good, good folks, but certainly a different breed of people. The shark, yeah. The hardcore shark fishing community. But, you know, their goal is to land a 10-foot tiger shark on the beach. You know, that's, that's what they want to do. Um, yeah. And then, but then also release it if possible. Or, yeah. you know, a 12-foot hammerhead or whatever. Um, we didn't catch anything that big that, that, that time that I went with or was sucked into that community for a weekend. Um, but it was pretty cool. Yeah. I mean, I, I don't be... even know, like, which species are endangered that we would have, let's just say, off the Texas coast. It seems like we have... Tons of bull sharks, obviously black tips out the wazoo, hammerheads. Um, there are tiger sharks, like I said, that, that folks land uh, off those piers. But, yeah, so I don't know which, which ones would be. And, and are there even bag limits on those things? I don't know. The ones that are endangered, I'm sure there aren't. Uh, so, I, yeah, are, I mean, I guess yeah. what we're getting, yeah, with the, the for harvest, you know, let's let science drive it, not emotion. Right. And where we have healthy, abundant shark populations, where there's a market for it, where this can all be done sustainably. And there's the added benefit of, you know, potentially reducing numbers to where this issue of depredation doesn't happen as often. You know, that's a win-win. You mentioned earlier shark fin soup. Of course, that's gotten more more tricky lately because at the end of last year, Congress uh, enacted a uh, new law that um, there's no longer the sale of shark fins in the United States. 
and you know, finning has been illegal for a really long time, but it was decided that we're not, we don't even want to allow the, the fins themselves to be sold anymore, which, um, anyway, we don't have to go down that rabbit hole, but the point being now all of a sudden the most valuable part of the shark is no longer available to be sold. So that doesn't, that doesn't that make doesn't, it any That easier. doesn't help our problem. <laughs> no, that doesn't make it any easier to convince people, Hey, let's go out and uh, harvest these things sustainably. But by the way, the most valuable part of it, you can't, you can't yeah, we sell. Can, so. We can, we can touch on it for a second because you know, you see photos, which drive emotion of, uh, uh, 500 shark fins laid out on a deck. And that makes people, that upsets people, right? The reality is if there's no market for, and, and this is, we're talking about a renewable resource that should be managed just like we manage white-tailed deer. Um, but if there's no market for these fins, then yeah, that's uh, that doesn't, like you said, that doesn't help us out with our problem of, of shark depredation. Yeah, makes it a lot harder. So that's why, again, I think this is one that you got to bring a lot of people together, figure out a variety of different aspects um, to help tackle it. Yeah, yeah, because right now it's just an inertia. No one, everyone knows it's hard. It's complicated. There's a million other things to work on. So let's, you know, kind of bury our hands, heads in the sand and focus on something else. Um, yeah. So, yeah, that bill had a hearing on it. It went pretty well. Um, you know, nothing's ever easy in Congress, but it's a bipartisan bill. You know, Democrats, Republicans alike co-sponsoring it. Um, so I'm hopeful that this can start moving and start uh, again helping to bring some more attention to this this challenge because um, it it's not getting any better or any easier. That's for sure. Yeah, no doubt about that. Um, okay, so that is HR 4051, the Shark Act. So we can hope that with the bipartisan support, it should get passed at some point in the near future. Uh, yeah, I've, I've been doing this long enough to know not to make any promises, but uh, <laughs> I will agree with you that it should. Uh-huh. Okay, well, let's talk about HR 4587. That's the Snapper Act. This is something that I have paid way more attention to over the years than than shark numbers. Um, just for, from the fact that when I was in college, one of my best friend's dad had a boat out of uh, Port Aransas, and we would go snapper fishing every summer. And then the season got shorter and shorter, and sometimes it was now the recreational quota was you know, X pounds, but that meant that it was a one weekend season. One time that we had like a one weekend season for, for offshore red snapper, um, which was insane. So I think within see there eight or 10 miles, if, if you're in state waters, uh, the, the seasons open year round in Texas, but then you get out to these, these Gulf coast waters. And unfortunately, like and there's never really been a good explanation. I've I'm I'm still waiting for one because these fish are not migrating from Texas to Georgia to Florida. They're basically staying on the same reef, which a lot of times is an oil platform, which is great. I mean, nobody, a lot of people don't understand. Yes, well, oils, you know, the anti-oil people are so bad, uh, or, you know, oil's so bad. But at the same time, it's created the biggest artificial reef system in the world. In you know, in the Gulf Coast. And we have these vibrant fisheries. But those snapper, like I said, they're not migrating. So why that fishery has always been managed as one population kind of seems idiotic, to be frank, but it is. Uh, and so, you know, like I said, I've paid attention, but the snappers seem to have gotten bigger. We would catch them faster and catch more of them. And we would have, you know, more restrictions and more restrictions and it doesn't make sense when the fishery seems to be doing so well. Um, so anyway, the uh, the Snapper Act, I'll let you take the ball and run with it here. Yeah, sure. So um, Gulf of Mexico Red Snapper, I guess we'll sort of two separate but related discussions. Gulf of Mexico Red Snapper, then you got South Atlantic Red Snapper. Somebody mm -hmm. actually told me that they're I think genetically distinct populations. I don't know. They're, mm -hmm. they're, they're essentially the same thing, just different, different locations. Um, so, yeah, I mean, you've you highlighted years and years of frustration in the Gulf of Mexico of this disconnect between state inshore seasons and offshore federal seasons where the states were trying to do right by what they felt like the science showed and what their anglers wanted to harvest and would have more generous seasons. And the feds just kept ratcheting things down to where I think it got to a low of a three day season in like 2017, 2018. But what if the wind's blowing? 
I mean, yeah, then there's yeah. no season. It's done. Yep, right. exactly. And I think that that did happen where there was a few years where it was like two weekends and both of the weekends got blown out. So anyway, it ended up um, just hitting a, a point where it just wasn't tenable anymore. Uh, this was under the previous Trump administration. They came in and got all the states together, got NOAA together and figured out, you know, how can we give the states more control of managing these fisheries right. using their data collection programs uh, basing the, the the season lengths around what's um, what works best for their anglers, uh, in terms of timing, weekends, that type of thing. Uh, but ultimately, again, relying on the states to drive how management's going to go, not just in their own waters, but offshore. And it's been, um, by and large, a huge success, certainly a huge improvement right. over what it was previously when, again, you had this huge divide between what the, the state and federal seasons have been. So it's been a lot better. It's all kind of in a delicate where it could all implode at any moment. But for the last several years, in general, you know, depending on what state you're in, it's like, I think Alabama has been in like the 40 to 50 days, same with Florida. Yeah. Uh, it's much more reasonable. And yeah, you don't have this like race to fish. Yeah. Because mm-hmm. I mean, yeah, for that, if you get one weekend, like everybody's going out, you got safety at sea issues. What do you do when the weather's bad? Uh, it's just not good for anybody. Um, so, so I guess the Atlantic population has not been fortunate enough to where they've been given the same kind of authority yeah. atlantic's still uh yeah a ways behind where we have got dealing with Gulf. what we used to deal with yeah yeah and so the atlantic it's a similar story where you can't go offshore without catching red snapper they're extremely abundant i mean it gets to a point where like you know you're you're trying to catch something else because red snapper aren't in season and you can't do it because there's so many of them yeah um and NOAA fisheries response to that isn't to recognize like, oh, hey, maybe this species is a lot more abundant than we realize. Maybe we should open things up. Their, their argument is, well, you're catching all these fish out of season and releasing them because you're not allowed to harvest them. A percentage of those released fish we know die due to handling practices, depredation, whatever. So we're going to take that off your quota. And because that's happening so often, you don't really get a quota at all. It's just this like fundamental, like, can you take a step back and think about what you're saying here? Yeah. So that's what's led to the last several years. Uh, it's been two to three day season consistently. And even that's getting harder and harder to maintain because you've got all this high demand. Uh, there's a lot of anglers catching them again out of season. There's questions about the data, but there's more like fundamental questions about like, what are our management goals? What's the underlying data that's going into this? And perhaps you've gotten this all wrong. And, uh, Maybe we should uh, be allowed to keep a lot more of those fish rather than discard them. And nobody wants to admit they're wrong. Like all my vaccinated friends still don't want to admit. Like, <laughs> yeah, it's uh... the federal government. The federal government has a particularly hard time with admitting that it's anything wrong. So, yeah. uh, so to that point of where we're trying to get better data. Um, several years ago, uh, Congress, led by uh, Congressman John Rutherford, who's Jacksonville area, Florida put money towards um, an independent count of red snapper. Like, let's not trust NOAA fisheries numbers anymore. Let's go out and have other people go out and assess red snapper abundance in the South Atlantic and then see what, you know, perhaps there'll be a difference. And that similar story happened in the Gulf of Mexico where an independent uh, red snapper count was done. They found there were three times more red snapper than NOAA fisheries had previously estimated. Shocker. Yeah. So it wasn't like, yeah, five, 10%. It was three times more. Right. So um, that's going on in the, the South Atlantic. Um, so, they, so wait, they have a track record, NOAA fisheries, of way underestimating how many of these fish were actually exist. So they have that track record and, and they're still, they've still got their head. Doubling down. Yeah. <laughs> Doubling down. Yeah. So that's what we're Get your boosters. <laughs> yeah. So, so uh, that study is underway. The Red Snapper Act essentially says, and this is also led by Congressman Rutherford from Florida, that uh-huh. you're not making any more changes. You're not going to close things down. Because what Noah's talking about is doing like large bottom fishing closures because of this issue of catching Red Snapper out of season and having to discard them. So their point is like, we'll just don't so go fishing at all. Noah Fisheries is like uh, a good example of like Deb Howland's approach to preservation is not conservation. Well, she's a preservationist, you know, and she's our secretary of the interior. Um, like if you just leave the stuff alone, everything will be fine. Well, that doesn't help out conservation. And it certainly doesn't help out, you know, a uh, sustainable, renewable resource, which is what our snapper fishery is in there's no closing it and bottom fishing across the board. That would just devastate all of recreational angling. And I don't know how that would affect 
uh, commercial fishing, but I similar story. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, And it's, you know, we talk about the state fish and wildlife agencies, like state agencies, you know, I'm not saying they get it right hundred percent of the time, but in general, like the incentive structure is good. Like state agencies get their money from hunters and anglers through license dollars, through excise taxes. So like they want to create these opportunities. They want people to have access. I think they do it more than just for the money, but um, with NOAA fisheries, the more people that are out there offshore fishing, it's more people for them to manage and more headaches. And they'd rather just not have to deal with any of that. And what we particularly see is uh, it's a lot of it is recreational versus commercial fishing, commercial fishermen. They're fewer in numbers. You know, it's a lot easier to count their catch because they're bringing it all at the dock. They're counting it all anyway because they're selling it at the market with the millions of recreational fishermen that are out there. You know, we're just harder to manage. We're harder to keep track of. We're not required to keep daily logbooks for most fisheries. So they generally view commercial fishing as an easier activity to manage. So nine times out of 10, if they're going to pick who we're going to side with, who we're going to give more access to, it's going to be commercial versus recreational fishing. But it's for, for Red Snapper, I think it's a lot more of just the like entrenched here's what we think's right. And even if we're proven wrong, we're going to continue to say we think we're right mm-hmm. and move forward with the same management approach. So that's where, you know, from time to time, you know, we all support science-based management and all that, but every now and then they get it wrong and you need Congress to step in and, you know, smack them over the head. Yeah. Well, they need to be smacked over the head all too frequently, unfortunately, uh, especially when you consider our next topic, which is uh, vessel reduction speeds across the Gulf coast for what? We'll discuss after the break that segment brought to you by Rustic Reminders Taxidermy with locations in Marion and San Antonio, Texas. Whether uh, it's a red snapper or a giant snook like the one Aaron caught in Florida, uh, you want a replica made? Yeah, they do amazing work on that. Plus, any shoulder mount from a whitetail to uh, an entire African safari, you can find them and take a look at their work right there at GR, the number eight mounts.com. We'll be right back on STI's Lone Star Outdoor Show. If you're looking for a new gun safe, you need to check out the Performance Firearm Storage Solutions from Securit. Unlike traditional safes, Securit products are designed to perform for you. They're lightweight, so you can discreetly store them in any room in the house, and the interior is completely customizable to fit your guns and gear. I would know. I've got four of them. Their fast-access storage system keeps my guns and optics organized so they never touch each other or get damaged, and I'm never more than an arm's length away from a firearm. The best part? They're always running great sales. Head over to SecureItGunStorage.com backslash cable to see their latest promotion, and you can thank me later. It's that time of the year where you might want to try to kick off a new year with a fitness journey. Cryo and More has all your holistic healing needs with cold therapy, heat therapy, and pressure therapy, which shortcuts the time you have to spend recovering from your workout or minimize the muscle soreness you feel from physical activity. Cryo Skin is a body hack that speeds up the death cycle of the fat cells using non-invasive technology that uses heat and cold to eliminate fat cells. Your greatest wealth is your health. Visit cryoandmore.com or head over to the location off of Virginia Parkway in McKinney. Lift your eyes and see through the sorrow. Muster all the strength you can borrow. And live for tomorrow. Though you're down and down to your rival. Know your faith is linked to your survival. Cable Smith, welcoming everybody back into SCI's Lone Star Outdoor Show presented by Mossberg Firearms. Uh, we're still visiting with the ASA's Mike Leonard, and we'll get back into that conversation in just a sec. This segment of the show brought to you by the Stealth Cam Deceptor No Glow uh, Cellular Camera. If you want to see the quality of the nighttime images, just head over to my Instagram or Facebook page. Because in the past week, I've gotten some really sweet photos, uh, images of bucks and velvet, and the quality is mind-blowing. It's beautiful. Uh, you can find the Deceptor. I think they retail for like 130 bucks, uh, but you can find it at StealthCam.com. All right, Mike. Well, thanks for sticking around. Uh, we do need to address one more thing that NOAA Fisheries appears to be dead set on getting absolutely wrong. And again, it goes back to screwing over the fishing community essentially um and and this would actually affect anybody that is utilizing waterways you don't have to be fishing you just be out on your boat Mm -hmm. um but these proposed speed reductions and you and i discussed this 
it's probably been, I don't know, a year and a half since you were on, maybe a year. Um, yeah, I think it was maybe last, late last summer, fall, something yeah, like that. Okay, yeah. so about a year. And this was when the uh, North Atlantic right whale situation came to light. And we're talking about a nearly extinct, uh, extinct species. They're not very smart whales. They're called right whales because they were the easiest ones to harvest traditionally. Yep. Um, and now there's not a lot of them left. Well, okay, that's really, that's really sad. And I don't want to see any species go extinct, but we can't close down life because of one species. And, and also there's data, which we talked about, that supports the reality that maybe one of these whales gets hit by a boat every like two years or something. We're talking about five since five since 2008 less than, so less than every other year yep. five since 2008 well okay so every three years a whale gets hit by a boat and we want to close down fishing because of that close down boat traffic essentially because the speed reductions are so so drastic that you can't you can't operate you can't function it's it's futile there's no point um we were talking about what was the what is what was their proposed idea of how fast you could actually go um yeah 10 knots so 11 and a half miles an hour about the speed of a bicycle out in the open ocean <laughs> yeah yeah for over half a year for the entire atlantic coast essentially massachusetts down to florida yeah that's Absolutely where it's absurd yeah for something so, that's less than a one in a million chance yeah one every three years on average uh, sorry I, you know i hate that one gets hit but we're not you know it's, that's not wildlife management um and it doesn't benefit it doesn't benefit anybody it's just a it's just emotional grandstanding is all it is uh so so now how does that affect why am i bringing it back up because there's like uh, there's a new proposal uh that and it, is that if actually like that would affect me in the gulf coast yeah so it's in an earlier stage so what happened in the atlantic was a proposed final rule so we're expecting sometime potentially later this year to see the final final rule which would potentially go into effect I would anticipate the moment that happens, there's going to be at least one lawsuit dropped and we'll see where all that goes. But anyway, you want to see the recreational and commercial fishermen unite together. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. That's going to happen. That the, uh, the ports, the pilot boats that work through the ports, ferry operators, like there's a lot of people that are, are freaking out over that one. Uh, so a lot of people paying close attention. Yeah. The one in the Gulf of Mexico, that's for a different whale that was just discovered a few years ago. The, the rice's whale, Hmm. um, they discovered it like three years ago and determined there were only 50 of them left. I was actually in an event talking about this and someone who's not in this space asked, well, if we just discovered it, how do we not know there was always just 50 of them? I thought, huh, that's a good question. Mm-hmm. I don't know. It points to the fact like we don't know a whole lot about this species. Right. But Noah has been petitioned by some, uh, some extreme environmental groups to take a large chunk Imagine of the eastern that. Gulf of Mexico and put it off limits to all boats throughout the year for this entire, um, for this large chunk of the ocean. Um, it's, it's, it's largely off the uh, Panhandle, Mobile area, uh, Panhandle, Florida, Mobile, and then tapers down towards Tampa. By the time you get to Tampa, it's pretty far offshore, but you can think there's a lot of fishing, recreational and commercial that goes on there, out there. A lot of uh, cargo uh, ships moving through there, oil and gas, um, you name it. The fact that Noah's already uh, moving forward with the petition shows, you know, the writings on the wall that seems to be uh, the next one. So if nothing else, it's shown that, you know, we're not paranoid. This does seem to be the new way of getting humans and boats off the water. They're just using whales as the way to go about it. So I don't think it's going to stop here, unfortunately. And this is why I always say veganism is a mental disorder because there's no other, that's who these yahoos are. Like, why would you want to close down boat traffic? Well, because we don't like fishing. We don't like that you're killing and eating animals. What, what, where else would this come from? I don't, I mean, I can't, I cannot come up with another answer that makes any sense other than it's animal right activism. And that comes from a place of not killing animals, which means you're a vegan. So connect the dots. Yeah. People. And from like the broader public standpoint when they're presented with this you know all you're getting is like a a headline and it's you know we want to save whales and this is perceived to be the way to do it Mm -hmm. our point's been like well hold on a second it's 2023 there's all sorts of technology out there we can use uh, acoustic satellite heat sensing i read an article the other day there's a device it's sort of like shazam or i don't know if you use merlin for bird id 
Uh, you can put this device in the water and it will listen to whale sounds and detect them from like a 50 mile radius and tell you the individual species of whale that you're hearing. Anyway, That's point cool. being, if we're worried about how do we minimize these encounters between boats and whales, Let's focus on technology. You know, everybody that's got a large offshore boat's got all sorts of marine electronics on it. Let's figure out the technology needed to when there's a whale nearby, especially an endangered whale. I mean, that know, sounds that great, boaters. right? But it's also idiotic that we would have to do that because here's this rice whale we just discovered, which means no one's ever hit one with the boat because we didn't know they existed. There was one. Well, there there was a dead boat. rice whale. Yeah, there was one uh, off of Tampa, like, I guess it was a couple years ago. It was brought so, in so a single that we, one that's one. how we discovered them it was like oh there's that dead whale that we didn't know existed i don't it know might have not, it actually <laughs> might have been now that i think about it come on what is this thing oh we don't know what this is oh it's the uh, first time we've ever hit one there's yeah uh, certainly so never often. been an example of a recreational boat a boat under 65 feet hitting once but yet this is what they're trying to do is yeah. prevent something that's never happened ever before from ever happening in the future doesn't, doesn't make a whole so lot of sense we should all not fish for these whales okay just stay in your house don't ever mm -hmm. leave your house don't don't touch an animal Sounds don't do anything real boring yeah uh -huh. <laughs> that's what we're up against jeez dude so uh, anyway on that yeah. one there's been a lot of attention a lot of work being done uh to get congress to focus on this push back and yeah our large our, our message especially with the right whales like let's pump the brakes here this isn't an all or nothing, like either we do yeah. this rule or we do nothing. Like surely there are other things we could be trying that don't shut the so entire economy down. who runs down. NOAA Fisheries? And what is it, it's, um, it's not a- uh, Who gives them the authority? Like that's, that's what I'm trying to figure oh, out. Oh, on this one, yeah, I mean, that's been an interesting question. So this is all done through NOAA's Office of Protected Resources, which everything we've been talking about before this is NOAA Sustainable Fisheries, which has its own issues. Office of Protected Resources is like its own, uh, I'm trying to figure out how to say this. It is like, if you want to talk about like deep state government, <laughs> mm. Office of Protected Resources seems to be impenetrable. So um, I would like they, to see their financials, but I guarantee you there's a bunch of money there coming from animal rights activist groups. It seems and to be full of these you know, the true people, believers. These people that are in charge of, so are, is it a government entity? Mm -hmm. Oh, yes. Yeah. So Within these people government. that run a government entity that's supposed to help manage fisheries have been infiltrated by animal rights activists to the tune of, hey, let's shut down all boat traffic in this area to save these whales. There, uh, there's definitely a similar mindset for sure in terms of uh, it, it doesn't seem to be proceeding in an objective, fair, science-based way. It's we're going to we're going to save these whales and, you know, Damn anybody who tries that's to get in our way. And sad yeah. at the same time that that's where we're at with a, a government agency that oversees fisheries and potential management. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. So it's all, you know, the Marine Mammal Protection Act, the Endangered Species Act, you know, there's some authorities given there, but um, I don't think that was ever done with the intention of, yeah, we're going to shut down the ocean because of this, this one marine mammal well, that we've, we found. The ESA has long been hijacked by, yeah, and it's it's not unique to fisheries. I and mean, you look at uh, grizzly bears in the lower 48. Yep. Recovered, biologists say, hey, we need to have a hunt. Okay, let's have a hunt. Wyoming does a draw, hands out tags. Then they get it closed. Some idiot judge was, you know, probably, again, his pockets being lined by animal rights activist groups, closes the season. That's five years ago, six years ago. And we still don't have a grizzly season. Like, yeah, and once you lose it, you don't get it back in general. Wolves still, wolves the same deal. It's, yeah. Um, but that's not wildlife management, so we'll keep fighting it and who knows. Yep. Yep. Um, some days it seems like it's an uphill battle because they these people scream the loudest and throw the biggest tantrums. And then we're just trying to react to that. And I think we as a hunting and fishing community though have in the last oh seven or eight years, a lot a lot of it has to do with social media, but we are doing a better job of being proactive instead of reactive. Um, we just have to continue to do that and be on the offensive. And it's sad that that's the way it is, but, but truly, you know, we can't just keep reacting to what they're doing. Um, which is why you see states and, uh, well, states by and large passing, you know, pro hunting and pro fishing legislation to prevent that stuff from yeah. happening. Yeah. So. I know we, we were working in Florida this year and several states have done this. Um, 
and, they, and they're all a little bit different how you do it each state, but getting a constitutional right to hunt and fish, mm-hmm. um, you know, in, in indoctrinated in the constitution. And people look at that and think, well, what's that actually going to do? Like that doesn't solve any specific problem. And this is like, this is looking into the future, you know, because uh, it's right now it's sort of the death by a thousand cuts. Yeah. It's wolves, it's grizzlies, it's yeah, spring bear hunting, Washington, it's you name it. Yeah. Um, this is all part of a much broader attempt to, you know, try and shut these things down uh, piece by piece. So uh, we need these things, these, these sort of safeguards in place to prevent broader wholesale changes down the road. Yeah. It's um, I, I agree with you. It feels like we're always on the de- defensive, but at the same time, like we're trying to cling to a way of life and a pastime and traditions for, for centuries that other people don't like, and they're trying to take it away from us. So um, inherently sort of puts you in that defensive position, but it's uh, certainly keeps us busy. That's for sure. Yeah. Well, so how can folks get plugged in with the ASA? Yeah. So uh, appreciate that. So we are, you know, a trade association, as you mentioned, you went to ICAST, uh, most of our members are manufacturers, but we do have a way for individual anglers, people that care about this stuff to know about all these issues. Cause I mean, in my time working for ASA 14 years, I can't think of an issue we worked on where like industry and anglers were in a different spot. Like industry mm-hmm. wants to sell tackle to anglers. And the way you do that is make sure anglers are happy and have good, good fishing access. So we put out a lot of information for people to, to learn about things we've talked about, you know, invasive species issues, state legislation, um, you know, a, a bunch of different things. Uh, if you go to our website, asafishing.org, we've got a, a take action center where you can, you know, click of a button, learn about these issues. If there's opportunities to, contact your legislators, members of Congress. We've got those, uh, those action alerts up. So, um, anyway, tons of information on there. Would would encourage folks to check that out. Yeah. Well, I always love getting the newsletter and the update. So it keeps me in the loop as far as this kind of crazy stuff that that we've discussed today. So I appreciate what you guys do, Mike, and thank you so much for the time today. Yeah, sure thing. Thanks for having me on. Good, Good conversation with you. Yeah. Take care. You too. So there he goes, Mike Leonard of the American Sport Fishing Association. Uh, always great catching up with Mike as he's keeping us in the loop regarding <laughs> these just, you know, what they're void of, they're just void of common sense. These laws, these these notions that NOAA fisheries are trying to get through, uh, it all stems like we were discussing from a place of animal rights activism. It's absurd, and so we'll keep shining the spotlight on those cockroaches as needed. Uh, That segment of the presentation was brought to you by the Mossberg MC2SC 9mm EDC. That's everyday carry. If you and I are having a conversation, chances are it's on me. I love this thing. It's compatible with Glock magazines as well, and you can find the uh, MC2SC at Mossberg.com. Unfortunately, we are out of time for today. Got to go. Got to get out of here. Thanks to Mike for jumping on. Thanks to all of our sponsors for making this show possible. Most importantly, thanks to you, the listener, for being a part of SCI's Lone Star Outdoors show. Until next time, I'm Cable Smith saying y'all have a great week in the outdoors. Scratching at my door.